0: I'm glad to be here with you all today. Um, give me one second as I get mic'd up, double mic'd up. All right. Um, so today we are going to be starting a ten-week series on uh, this word "abide," and this has been a word. Um, I'm, I don't know if I've, I've relayed to you guys this, but um, I've been doing uh, different grad classes over the past year or so, and this past class I was in is called "Developing Leaders," and a big portion of this entire class has been on this one word, abide. And this word has been with me, and it's been in my heart for a very long time, and it's kind of one of those things where it's just been there, so I figured why not share it with you all as well, this word abide. And so over this 10 weeks, it's going to be a little bit different than normal. Um, It's going to be a 10-week series in the sense that it's going to take 10 weeks, but I'm not going to preach 10 sermons just on this. It's going to be kind of a hybrid series where I'm going to preach a week And then the following week, we're going to have a kind of interview situation where we're going to share testimonies from somebody here within our church. Um, This is actually in response to something that, if you remember taking the surveys a couple years ago, a lot of you expressed that you would like to hear more testimonials from within our church. And I've been really excited after hearing that. And this has been in the works for a very long time. It's just been a matter of getting the right people in place and saying yes uh, to this situation. So I have been so excited Uh, To not only just share this kind of study and this word abide with you, but also to share stories with one another. Uh, To share our community together and to see really more uh, these stories that you might not know at all about, right? People you might not have even said hello to yet, right? So I'm excited for that, but today we are going to be in John chapter 15. I am going to preach this morning on this idea of abide in the vine dresser, but before we get there... I want to kind of have a group understanding of how we're going to look at this word abide. Okay, your text might say remain. Typically, I always use the NIV just because that's what I've always used. Um, I always get the question, what's the best translation? My response is the one that you're going to read. Um, But for some reason, this word abide to me is just so powerful. Your Bible might say remain. It's really the same word. But I'm going to read this, and this is going to be kind of our working definition as we go through this series together. Abide is going to mean continually trusting Jesus to be everything you need. Let's read that definition together, okay, out loud. Abide, continually trusting Jesus to be everything you need. And it's going to look differently for everybody. I understand that. Uh, It's going to look different in how it functions in your life. But really, when we sit with this word a little bit, I think it's going to change our perspective especially when the, within the context of John chapter 15. I'm going to read this again. I want us to sit with this, kind of ruminate with these words in our minds this morning. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prints, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now right away we are confronted by one of the seven times that Jesus uses this phrase, I am, right? He's referring to himself as the true vine. He does this seven times in John where he's making these declaratory statements about who he is and what he's going to be about in his life, right? I am the light. I am the good shepherd. There's different ways he uses this phrase, but here in John chapter 15, he refers to himself as the true vine. This is how Jesus is going to lead his entire ministry. This is what he always has done up to this point, remember, when he talks to people, a lot of times, the Pharisees and the non-Pharisees, they always point out, this guy Jesus talks with a lot of authority. He speaks as someone who has authority, and this frustrated a lot of people. It offended a lot of people. But yet, this is how Jesus lives, and this is how he does his ministry. But there's an even deeper context to him referring to himself as the true vine, okay? If we go back to Psalm 80, verses 8 through 11, this is, this is what it says. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade and the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoot to the river. You see that in the psalm, the psalmist is referring to Israel as this vine, Right? The nation of Israel being brought out of Egypt is this vine, this relationship that God has. And this vine spreads its roots and its branches so far out it casts shade over a great portion of land. And so the psalmist is referring to Israel as this vine. And now Jesus steps in John 15 and says, but I am the true vine. Kind of similar to how he talks about himself being the good shepherd Right? He's distinguishing himself from other types of shepherds. Here Jesus in John 15 is saying, yes, you've heard about this vine before, Israel. Israel's great, fantastic, love it. But I myself, I am the true vine. Similar imagery, but the distinguishing factor here is that Jesus is the true vine. This fulfillment, it's this idea of this greater promise is being fulfilled in Jesus. And we're nodding along because, yes, Jimmy, we understand this. And that's okay. But this is not where he stops, right? This is not where the whole thing stops. He doesn't just say, I am the true vine and I'm better and I'm the fulfillment of Israel. No. He goes a step further and talks about this pruning process as well. If you have your Bibles, make sure they're open to John 15. That's where we're going to be pretty much all day. He talks about being this true vine, but the vine is not left unchecked. Uh, I don't know if any of you all are gardeners in here. I know some of you like to be outside and, and manage your garden. Maybe you grow plants or, or fruit or whatever it might be. Um, I'm not a great gardener, I would say. I, I don't pursue that in my daily life. My wife has me trim things every now and then, but I don't know what I'm doing, okay? I, I try to do what she tells me to do. She's the gardener, if there was one in our family. And, but if you are a gardener, you recognize the pruning process is extremely important, right? Right? especially when it comes to fruit trees or vegetables and stuff like that. Because if you have a a, a great tree and it's having a lot of great growth, but it's kind of unkempt, you might not get as much fruit as you could otherwise, right? Because your tree is expressing its energy in different ways, bringing out different branches. But a master gardener is able to come and say, you know what, I'm going to take off this branch and maybe this branch will be more fruitful, right? It will yield more fruit. See, a master gardener can walk into a situation like an unkempt garden and, it can, and they can precisely see, okay, this needs to be chopped here and this needs to be taken back here. I'm even thinking of Mr. Miyagi, right, in Karate Kid. He's got his bonsai trees and he's got those little scissors and he's doing those masterful cuts. The master gardener knows exactly what to do. can take an unkempt garden and turn it into something much better. But it's so interesting looking at this situation, this metaphor that Jesus puts himself into, because even though he is the true vine, the true vine still submits to the vine dresser. The true vine still submits to the vine dresser. Yes, the vine can grow wildly, and that's even kind of what the psalm kind of paints the picture, right? You cleared the ground for it, it took deep root and it filled the land. It's kind of like this abundance you see in Israel that God prepared away. But Jesus has taken that metaphor and saying, I'm the true vine, but yet God has pruned me along the way. Has pruned me to be an even more effective disciple maker than before. The, the vine, the true vine, still needs a vine dresser. And I I had a hard time with this because the more I thought about it, I kind of got a little confused because I was like, Jesus needs pruning? That seems odd. It, it doesn't seem like Jesus, of all people, would need to be pruned, right? He's Jesus. That's how we often think of Jesus. But he himself represents himself as something that needs to be pruned. You know, I kind of have the question, isn't he perfect? We talk about that all the time. Jesus is perfect. But I think it would it's, be short-selling his humanity if we just saw Jesus in that light. If we saw Jesus and took this out of context and said, he doesn't really need that. Right? He doesn't really need to be pruned. I don't think Jesus would say it if it wasn't true, right? Nod your heads if you're with me, okay? He wouldn't say it if it wasn't true. I think about these different experiences in Jesus' life where he goes into the wilderness to be what? Tempted. Sometimes we read that and we're like, oh, Jesus, it wasn't really a temptation for him. And Jesus wouldn't call it a temptation if it wasn't actually a temptation, right? He's out there and he's having to go through these things and battle these things on his own and develop as a human, I am sure there was some, uh, some uh, vine dressing going on in the wilderness, right? I think about all the times he had with the Pharisees, all the times where he's confronted. I, I think about the most stressful situation where the, the, the woman caught in adultery is brought before Jesus. And they're like, what do you do about this, Jesus? And what does he do? He stoops down and he, and he doesn't say anything. And eventually, you know, has this remarkable thing where he's like, you know, if you have no st- sins, go ahead and throw the first stone. And I think about all the the preparation of his lifetime, all the pruning to where he got to that place. And even in that moment, I can still see that as a pruning situation. Taking away maybe any kind of pride that might rise up. Saying, hey, I have no sin. You guys are the messed up ones here. You should listen to me. But instead, Jesus handles it in the perfect way. And he doesn't do that over and over again. We see Jesus have the perfect uh, response to these stressful situations. And I also think about when Jesus is with his friend Lazarus and Mary and Martha, they're weeping and they say, Jesus, if, if only you were here, you could have prevented this whole thing from happening. And then what does Jesus do? Does he get out his Bible and say, well, actually, no, he weeps with his friends. To me, even in that situation, I see it as a kind of pruning where there's this complex, complicated situation and Jesus interacts and God is there alongside him saying, okay, It's going to be a little bit difficult, but I'm with you. Vine dressing, pruning along the way. Jesus' humanness, right? It tethers him to our humanness. Without that aspect, there's no business of us even being here this morning, right? If he did not come onto this earth and live in flesh and blood and have these struggles, there's no reason for us to really submit to him either. But he did that, right? He took on flesh and he took on our burdens in that way to make it worthwhile for us to say, hey, you are like me, and I want to be like you. Help me to see that. And most of all, we, we, we read even in Scripture as a kid that he grew in wisdom and stature. There seems to me that there is this continual pruning as Jesus grows up over and over again, pruning, growing in wisdom and stature. So we go from this, if Jesus himself is being pruned, if he's experiencing this, should we be a little bit worried that we're going to experience it too? I think we should. And worried's not the right word, but I think we should expect to be pruned in our lives if Jesus himself is saying that he was pruned in his life. We're going to return to that, but I want you to think for a moment together this morning. I want you to think of something that you lost in your life that was important to you. Something that was lost that was important to you. The first thing that I thought of when I was thinking of this question was, um, when my daughter was really little, probably about one, one or two, she got really obsessed with one stuffed animal. And this stuffed animal was a cat, and its name was Kitty. Very, very inventive name for this cat. But Kitty was really important to Madeline, and Kitty slept every night with Madeline, and it was a big ordeal, right? Kitty had to be with Madeline. And then, this is an old story, right? Everybody probably knows what's gonna happen next. Guess what happens to Kitty? Kitty gets lost. And that night was pretty problematic. There was a lot of tears. There was a lot of, could you just take this stuffed animal instead of Kitty tonight, please? I just wanna go to sleep, please just take this. And eventually, she, she did, right? And that same night, Michelle got on Amazon and bought that exact kitty <laughs> And that kitty came back to our house a couple days later. And, oh, my goodness, we found kitty, Madeline. Yay. You can go to sleep now again. And that was great. And, you know, a few days later, of course, we found a real kitty. <laughs> yeah. But then we had two kitties. So then if that kitty got lost, then we were fine. We were covered, right? Um, that, that, you know, kitty's important. We still have kitty today. It's, it's, it's old news, though. She doesn't need kitty anymore. But I, I make an awkward transition from, from losing that because I think many of you might have thought of something like that, but I, I guarantee a lot of you also thought about something a little bit more important than a stuffed animal, right? I'm thinking of people in our lives that we often lose, the people that are important to us that we lose. Uh, if you remember last year, right about this time, I, I went up to a funeral in Oxford where I was previously ministering, <clears throat> and one of my students died. And he was 17 and it was a car accident and it was just in the middle of the night and incredibly tragic. And I think about him like every week still. It's one of those things where I see people that remind me of him and it's like, oh, there's Jaden, right? And then it's not so much sadness anymore. It's like joy to think about the times we had together, but there is still a lot of sadness baked into that as well. A very important person to me, and he was I lost them, right? And so I bring these two things up, and you might be saying, Jimmy, why are you having us laugh and then also having us feel this way about maybe losing loved ones in our lives? I think it's a little bit easier to connect the dots when we do it that way. When we see the little things and we see the big things, they're they're lost things nonetheless, right? They're lost things, and I think sometimes it, help us, it helps us bring kind of this conversation into a more... Easier way to be a different perspective, right? now I want to be very, very careful how I talk about this. Very careful. And I want to be very nuanced because Kitty being lost showed us that there's, there's things that we can do to, to, to solve this problem, right? It's a loss, but it's not a big loss. We, me and Michelle, we learned we could buy another kitty and we can have that one ready for her whenever she wants, and she won't lose sleep over it. And we learned, you know, in that situation, what we could do better. And when it comes to losing a person. It's kind of the same, but it's a little bit different. It's a lot more difficult to process those emotions. But in the same way, when you lose a person, you kind of have a different perspective on life itself. All of a sudden, that person's legacy is a lot more defined in your life than it was before. I wasn't really in contact with Jaden like I was when I lived in Mississippi. But now I think about him every week. I think about the kids driving their cars, and I get nervous. I think about my own kids growing up, and I get nervous. But I also think about the joy that I experience with them. All those things kind of come together. When you lose something that's important to you, it brings some other perspectives that you never knew that you had or previously connected to before, right? That's what loss has the power to do. And I want to be very careful this morning because I don't believe that God pruned Jaden from my life. I don't believe that God prunes people from your life. I don't believe that he stretches out their life and says, you know what, Now is a good time for that person to go. I do not believe that. I think it's bad theology. I think there's death in this world because there's sin in this world. I don't think God is up there biding his time, waiting for the perfect time to take you from your life. That's not how it works. God does not want us to experience this, but yet we are on this fallen, fallen earth, and we experience sin, and we experience separation, and that's a side effect of that. But in the midst of this, we have a vine dresser, we have an expert gardener who can see all this loss and frustration and death, and he can say, I'm going to make something out of that. The separation that you're feeling, the suffering that you're feeling, I'm going to do something with that so it's not for nothing. Pain and suffering are deep, but that's a side effect of being in a fallen world. It's not a test. I hate that. I hate when people see suffering and pain as a test of your faith. God's not doing that to you. But He's an expert gardener to where He can see all that. And if you recognize His presence in your life, He's pruning around you, saying, Hey, I am with you always. He's not testing your faith to see if you can prevail, He's saying, I am with you. Do not be afraid. And the problem is, though, is that when we experience this loss, when we experience this suffering, we want to ask ourselves the question, where are you, Jesus? I've been suffering for so many days, and it's not getting any better. And this is easy for me to say right now, but I guarantee this is some of the most difficult things for us to realize when we're in the midst of that suffering and loss. Abide in me and I in you. Abide in me, and I in you. I am with you, always. It's like this realization that we are remembered by God. There's so many times in Scripture, and when we just went through 1 Samuel where we had a great explanation of this, where Israel is all of a sudden on fire for God. They want to do so many good things for him, and then the next breath, They're doing the opposite, right? And and all through 1 Samuel, we're recognizing we're not very different from those people. But I think God has been screaming this to us from the beginning of time. This is not something new that Jesus invented that day. God is saying, abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. Please understand this. And the thing is, is that Sometimes in those places we're like, but God doesn't care. The moment you think that, I want you to remember the cross, right? Remember the cross because that is the ultimate expression of loss, right? The expression of loss that we celebrate every Sunday. And there is mourning, but there's so much joy for us to be found in the cross because that suffering and that loss gives us identity in Christ, And that loss, it was suffering, and it was a true and incredible loss. But the thing is that God redeems those lost things. God is the ultimate redeemer of those things that are lost. Like I said this morning, when I think about Jaden, I get really sad. But there's redemption in that sadness as well. There's a redeeming thing that happens when I see kids that look and remind me of him. And I'm sure there's people in your life that the same exact thing happens to you. I could have, just, I was driving down the road and I, I really thought he drove past me. And I said, man, <laughs> that, 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 was a, that was a good experience for me to remember him in that moment. And yes, there's sadness and yes, there's mourning, but there's redemption to be found in that sadness and loss. And only an expert gardener can see the chaos of this unkempt garden and say, I'm going to take those things and make them into something else. To make them bear fruit. Because to left their own devices, they're going to keep growing. They're going to keep growing, and that's fine, but they're going to be inefficient. God can make those vines. He can make them efficient, just like he did with Jesus, and just like he's continually doing with us. But remember, this expert gardener takes care of the mess. He redeems the growth that we have in our lives. And so the question that I want to have for us this morning is how can we allow this truth to be more true in our lives. Because I think there's a sense that when we abide, we're kind of allowing access to something that's already there to be present in our lives. You you, you with me there? God's not going anywhere. But when we allow ourselves the access to something that's already there, it changes how things function in our lives. So how can we allow this truth, abide in me and I in you, to be more true in our lives, the very first thing is, I think we need to remember past pain. And you're saying, well, Jimmy, you want me just to cry all day? And I hope that I gave you a good example this morning of how to remember past pain. It's not easy to go through those situations in the time, but my prayer is that when you go through these painful experiences, that it's not just, oh, that's gone, that's It's done. And there are some experiences I am sure that you guys are thinking of right now. It's like, I don't want anything to do with them, and that's fine, right? But I think if we dismiss those past pains, we're dismissing to see where the pruning has taken place. We're, 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 we're moving past all of that, and we're not seeing where God has been active. And if we don't see where God has been active, we're not going to see where he is active, Remembering our past pain, seeing how God has redeemed those moments. And the second thing is to acknowledge the fruit that came from those memories, those moments, excuse me. Acknowledge the fruit that came from those moments. It's really easy for us sometimes to get into a cycle where we just can't stop thinking about how bad things are. And if we can't get out of that cycle, we're never going to see how God has changed you over time. Right, how God has changed you and your perspective. And that's why I'm so excited about this series because you're going to stop listening to me so much I talk too much up here. right? And we're going to see how everybody kind of deals with this in different ways, opening ourselves up to say, you know what, that was a bad time in my life, but here's how God has worked through it. And when we see other people do it, it's easier for us to see ourselves doing it as well working through those those past pains and acknowledging the fruit. And sometimes we don't want to acknowledge the fruit because we want to allow that to be the past and to stay in the past, and we don't want to acknowledge how things have changed. But when we acknowledge it, we're not just lifting ourselves up and saying, hey, we've gotten through that. We're saying, thank you, God, for abiding in me. Thank you for that truth to ring true in my life. And I know it's difficult to talk about some of these things. I know it's probably difficult for you to sit there this morning maybe and even think about those things, excuse me, or those people that you've lost. But my encouragement to you this morning is to recognize that you are not alone. And I feel like I say that every single week, but I don't know if we're actually living it out as a church body. Are we actually living out this community that says, hey, I'm hurting, I need your help. Or are we allowing ourselves to stay in this cycle of self-help, stay in this cycle of looking elsewhere, instead of looking towards the expert gardener, the expert vine dresser, and saying, God, how are you pruning me today? How are you pruning me? How have you pruned me? And how are you going to help me as I grow and mature in my spiritual walk? I don't know what the answer is for you. My prayer is this morning that you can look in John 15, 1 through 4, and see your own story being played out. Where has the pruning taken place, and where is it taking place today? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for giving us uh, an opportunity to sit with this the scripture that is kind of hard to manage, God, because it's hard to think about Jesus himself being pruned, and the reality is that it's truth, that, that Jesus was pruned. Jesus was pruned basically to death on a cross to where he didn't really want to you know, do that beforehand. If there's any other way, God, please let it be so. But yet he still goes through it because God's pruning him to the day he dies. And the same is true for us. But the great thing about this pruning is that God redeems the pruning process. God redeems the brokenness and the loss and he makes it worth something. God, please help us to recognize that reality in our lives. Help us to recognize those past pains and to see the fruit that has come from them. And God, help us to be a light to others when they don't believe that's a reality that they can see as true. God, thank you for this truth. in so Jesus, let me pray, amen. I want to invite you this morning, if you have some loss that you're still working through and you don't know what to do, I want to invite you to come forward. You don't have to come forward. We do have elders in the back that, that sin in the back if you don't want to come forward like that. If you just want to text someone, call someone, do something. But please, I urge you to talk to somebody today about this verse, about these verses, and see what God can do with it. Would you stand as we sing?